Hi, this is Erica Bogan. Thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan podcast with Scott Knowles. I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. What's up, everybody? Have you checked out my show's sponsor yet? Go on Instagram or go to monkeygrip.com. That's monkey with two E's. And uh, check out his products. He pretty much does his own business all on his own. And uh, he makes some cool products. He makes some rope grips that go around pull-up bars that you can get that real feeling of pulling up with a rope. And uh, it really helps your grip strength, if, especially if you're doing like the herc hoist or rope climbing at, sponsor, at Spartan races. You can also take these rope grip attachments and put them around dumbbells and use them for uh, farmer's carries and still get that same, you know, grip type. Like after you've done wore yourself out doing pull-ups, you can switch to the farmer carries. Also, another cool thing that you can do with these products is like, let's say you want to do some OCR training while you're doing your trail run but you don't have any pull-up bars, you can take these ropes, find you a branch on a tree, throw them around there, boom, you got you some pull-ups right there. He's also got some cannonball monkey grip style grips, which I haven't tried out yet, but they look really cool. And uh, he also has some uh, liquid chalk, and we can all use liquid chalk at some time or one time or another. Um, but yeah, do me a favor and go to his Instagram and just give him a follow at the least. And, uh, and check out his products. Got a cool episode here today. Ryan Moran's going to tell us all about how he crushed the winter Spartan death race. Um, I, I didn't know him personally. I just saw he was one of the three finishers. I reached out to him. And through the interview, I could really tell that this guy had like a really cool mindset. And you could tell like the way he was talking about the event and the way his mindset was towards each task. It was like, you know, it, you could tell this was the type of person that's right for this event and uh really cool guy. And uh, if you're thinking about doing the death race and I didn't ask a question that you think, uh, you know, you might need an answer to reach out to Ryan. He'd be more than happy to help you. But anyway, here's the episode with uh, Ryan Moran. Ryan Moran, what is going on today, brother? Nothing much. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, man. This 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 speaks a little bit about both of us here. It's Valentine's Day, and we have nothing better to do than talk to each other yep. on the phone. Pretty much the only life I have is just going to the gym, training for you know huge extreme endurance events and stuff like that. So you know sometimes uh, to win stuff like this and to finish it, it takes the ultimate sacrifice. There so. you go. Like the monk life, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, Ryan, before we get into all that, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like uh, where you live from, what you do for a living, how old you are. So uh, I actually just turned 27 uh, the first day of the death race. I saw that it was on my birthday and I figured uh, what better to do on my birthday than sign up for something like that. Awesome. Um, I'm from Newfields, New Hampshire, and uh, yeah, I've, I grew up there and stuff like that and for a living um i manufacture for a company called TurboCam. TurboCam, no no what, what kind of company is that so um what we do is we manufacture uh parts for turbochargers oh okay uh, those typically go in um vehicles as well as jet engines oh wow that's pretty cool so is it like a big like factory type warehouse deal yeah, yeah, you know, it's a typical manufacturing factory and stuff like that. So what is your job there? Uh, I'm a machine operator. Oh, cool, cool. I operate these things called ECM machines. Right. And, yeah, they just, uh, we make the little parts that go in the fans of these turbochargers. Right. Yeah, I'm industrial maintenance by trade. I used to work in like an aluminum plant as well. Now I work uh, maintenance for the hospital here in town now. So that's pretty cool. Oh, that's man. Awesome. So how far, you were pretty close to Pittsfield then, right? How long a drive was that for you? Uh, two and a half hours. Oh, well, that wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, pretty convenient. You know, I didn't need to pay for a, 
a plane ticket or anything like that. Just went to work normal day and then made the drive up. I actually did end up getting a hotel and I shared a room with one of the other participants in death race that, uh, I actually met him at like another event, but, uh, I found out he was doing death race too because Spartan extreme posted him on their page. So I figured I'd reach out and get some information on how to train for it. Right. Uh, is Brandon Welling. He actually owns TPK endurance. Right. So, uh, yeah, he puts on a bunch of great events, and I was really happy to get some some training during one of his events for what might be to come, because I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. Right, so, like, what is, like, your background in, like, athletics? I mean, you already said that you train and you're at the gym all the time, but did you grow up, like, doing any sports or anything like that? Yeah, so I played hockey a lot of my life, um, and then I was a, a lacrosse player as well. Oh, cool. Did you ever yeah. get in, did you ever get any bad injuries from playing ice hockey? You know what? I didn't. I lucked out. I think one time I broke my finger and I needed to get surgery on that because it was broken so bad that they couldn't relocate it. But I went to block a shot and um, the shot deflected off my stick and went right up into the tip of my finger and snapped the bone right out of the skin. So I didn't realize what happened until I went to the bench and took off my gloves. Ooh. And I realized it was messed up, but I figured I'd finish the game because <laughs> it was important game and i was already in adrenaline survival mode so but then after the game i think uh my parents saw it and they're like all right you need to go get that checked out obviously so you were getting ready for the death race at, at an early my age life. yeah <laughs> so um tell us about like how you found ocr because this is it's all kind of new to you right oh very new so it's crazy actually um i joined a crossfit gym in Epping, New Hampshire. Uh, the name of it is CrossFit Epping. About three and a half years ago, you know, after um, high school and college sports, I kind of, I lost my way a little bit and lost my calling. Didn't really know what to do with myself as somebody who couldn't really identify as an athlete anymore. And I just, I needed to find something to be competitive in. So I walked into the doors at CrossFit Epping and I just I fell in love immediately, you know, and I met a bunch of great people in there that were from a bunch of different types of athletic backgrounds. And I met one guy named Steve Coolidge, and he was a veteran of a ton of Spartan races. And he actually, uh, he encouraged me to, you know, sign up for my first Spartan race. So, um, you know, I'm the type of guy that like, I'll always try and do like the hardest things possible because I want to challenge myself in extreme ways so i signed up for the killington ultra i saw that i'd never barton race before i went and i told him and he was just like you've never done a spartan race before and you signed up for the killington ultra and i looked at him and i laughed i thought it was funny i said yes and he warned me he's just like you just signed up for one of the toughest courses in the country buddy he's like i think you can do it but you're gonna need to start taking your training very seriously <laughs> So I did. I listened to everything him and my other coaches told me. And I literally just trained my ass off for, I think it was like eight months leading up to that. Um, you know, just going on a bunch of distance runs. Uh, I hiked the presidential traverse with a lot of heavy weight up in the White Mountains, like a couple different times. And I just, I took my training extremely seriously. And, you know, then the event actually came and I crushed it, man. I didn't think I'd do that well. Not only did I finish, but I came in fifth for my age group. And I was ecstatic, man. You know, my whole family was there watching. And they were just, they were so happy. They were so proud. And yeah, that was probably one of the best moments in my life right there. And, um, you know, shortly after that, I, uh, I immediately, it wasn't even a week-long process. I was trying to think about what's the next step up going to be. So I heard about the death race and I started doing my research, trying to figure out how to get into that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I finally found the link. It's uh, I may die.com <laughs> or something that. And I started emailing people and, uh, you know, I just figured out that, you know, I need to do a bunch of challenges in order to get in. Like I had to get an article published. I had to, uh, send them training videos and 
I also had to send a video of me chopping wood that states my name, age, uh, where I'm from, as well as why I want to participate in the death race. Um, as soon as like I kind of got that ball rolling, I figured like what I really need to do, because nobody at my gym had done anything like that. So no one could really tell me how to train. Hmm. I started researching finishers of the death race and I figured it can't hurt to reach out to them on Facebook messenger and, you know, see if maybe they'll give me some, some pointers on, am I on the right track here to train, to finish an event like this? So I reached out to a man named Joshua Fiore who won Killington. And I figured out he also had completed a death race. And then another man named Francis Generelli, mm-hmm. who has done four death races and finished them. Um, and they just gave me, some of the best training ideas and I can't thank them enough because if it wasn't for them giving me those suggestions, I don't know what would have happened. So I, I saw your submission video that you had on, on Facebook, but I, I didn't know that they had to like have an article submitted and how did you go about having that article submitted and, and like, what was the article about? So it's funny. Um, I actually just started reaching out to every single newspaper and podcast I possibly could. You know, um, just doing my research on what sources might be willing to publish an article. So I started sending as many emails. And finally, I think it was after like a week and a half, I heard back from my local newspaper, the Exeter Newsletter. I know I live in New Fields, but it's such a small town that like Exeter is kind of the general area that has that newsletter. And the guy said, listen, buddy, uh, thank you very much for reaching out. I think our readers would take great interest in me doing an interview on you and reading this article. So, you know, he did an interview and they published a phenomenal article about me and um, the gym and our community that I work out at. So. Cool. So you said that, you know, you reached out to several people and they gave you some advice on how to train for it. What was the advice that they gave you to train for? So the most interesting advice I got from Francis Generelli was you need to start doing ice baths and he told me every single day do five rounds of one minute ice bath followed by a 400 meter run and i was wondering i was like i know it's the winter death race but like i was curious like is that really gonna like help your body like adapt to the cold but I started doing a lot of research on a man named Wim Hof mm-hmm. as well as like Andrew Huberman and just, you know, reading all about like, can your body actually acclimate to cold weather? And it turns out it can just like with strength training or cardio training, your body will adapt if you keep safely pushing it, you know, like, I guess, um, it really, uh, makes your circulation improve as well as uh, it produces more of this stuff called brown fat that helps keep your body warm. Right. Hmm. So you started, so I I guess you did start doing this training. Did you do it every day, like he said? (laughs) Yes. So what happened from there was I started doing my research, like how am I going to get an ice bath? I was wondering whether or not I should invest in that cold plunge that's like, geez, I think it's a little over a thousand dollars and stuff like that. And I could afford that. I was just like, do I really need to spend all that money? And I was talking with people at my gym about it. And one of the women I work out with said she has a horse trough that she doesn't use anymore. She used to do ice baths and she just offered it to me for 40 bucks. And I said, I'll take it. So I started, you know, making a bunch of ice and every single night after the gym or sometimes in the morning, depending on what you know, worked best with my schedule, I would start doing those 400 meter runs. And I think I started that back in October. My theory was that if I start like when the weather's not extremely cold, but I keep going, I'll slowly acclimate to it all. And it won't just be too much of a shock to my system. So I did, I started that, I think beginning of October and I went right up until a couple days before the death race. Then I started chilling out, but And I would switch it up too. So sometimes like I was thinking just like the CrossFit philosophy where you don't want to do the same routine over and over again, because you don't want your body to get used to one thing. I was thinking instead of doing the 400 meter runs followed by the one minute cold plunges to make my body just 
get completely confused with the whole idea of cold and hot and warming back up, why don't sometimes I do like a 10, 15 minute just straight plunge without getting out of the water? And then other days, maybe do like three minutes, get out for another couple minutes, let my body start shivering and then get back in, repeat that a few times, but then randomly just change it up to maybe like a two minute cold plunge followed by like 30 burpees, then back in a couple times and repeat that. And, you know, at first it was a huge shock to my system. I also started um, practicing the underwater breath holds, which was very hard. At first, I remember back in October when I tried to do that, I was struggling to just get five seconds. But I think after about a month and a half, it just became such normal, you know, normal work for me. And I was then shortly able to hold my breath for like 15 seconds underwater and then 20 seconds and then I started really pushing it and I think the longest I did it uh pre-death race was 30 seconds at a time wow Hmm. yeah it's so hard though man I mean I wear something called a whoop strap and it uh keeps track of like your max heart rate during workouts and stuff like that and I think because you know I went into such like overdrive when I first started doing that one time I got my heart rate up to like 205. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Um, yeah, it was crazy. so like, do you live like by yourself, you know, or were like people you live with, like, you know, thinking you were crazy for doing this? <laughs> yeah. So I'm 26 right now or I'm 27. Uh, I'm saving up for a house. So I still live with my parents. So right. like they were, um, they were kind of watching over to make sure I didn't take it too far. Right. <laughs> Did they think yeah. you were crazy for trying this? Yeah, they thought I was fucked up. <laughs> My dad was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? I was like, I'm trying to train for the hardest race on the planet, man. Like, this is what you got to do. Yeah, so so where did you get your ice from, man? Like, how was that, you know? So, you know what? Sometimes, like, it was kind of an expensive thing. Like, I'd right. have to keep going to the gas station and buying the huge, like, 20-pound bags. Because for me to get the water really cold, I'd need to just fucking you know, send it and spend, I think $20 on ice night. Like, but then, um, as like the temperature got colder, I would just use like a pickaxe or like a regular wood splitting ax and it would just freeze right over Mm -hmm. and start kind of splitting it open on my own. Hmm. And that would add to chopping too. So that would help there too. Right. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So this, even though they've been doing this event for several years, there's still so many unknowns. No event is ever the same. But I'm curious, like, how does this event, like, start? Like, does is there an address they give you to meet? I mean, I know it's on Joe's farm, but, like, does everybody meet and sign in? And they say, okay, the event is starting. Like, kind of walk us through that process on, like, what one would expect when they start the death race. So I just got an email. I got several emails, like the months leading up to this. And it was just like, last chance to back out. Do you want to quit? And I said, (laughs) absolutely not. Fuck no. I'm sending it, man. Like all my boys and everyone at my gym, like has high expectations for me. I've been training my ass off for this. I'm sending it, you know, and they kept sending me these emails. But finally, you know, I got like the gear list and another email from, um, Andy Hardy, one of the race directors. Right, I know Andy. It was just, yeah, it was just saying like all the stuff we needed and where to meet and when to meet. Actually, um, I got that email when I was at that TPK endurance event with uh, Brandon Welling and a bunch of other guys who had done the death race before. Right. So we both got that email like during that event. We were both kind of laughing about it. Um, but yeah, there was something in it that said, you know show up no earlier than 7.30 unless you have hot breakfast for all the (laughs) the race directors. In that case, you can show up at 6.45. I thought that was pretty funny. I'm like, dude, I'm not getting any of these guys breakfast. (laughs) My roommate kind of was joking, uh, joking around about it. And he said that he wanted to get him breakfast just to see like what happened. I thought, that was hilarious. Like, but. see if maybe they cut him some slack during the event or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He was like, he also was messing around. He just wanted to see like what 
the ramifications of that or the reward might be, you know, but yeah, that was, that was pretty comical. So what was on the gear list? Oh, so many weird things, man. Like one pound of uh, raw ground beef. Oh, wow. uh, And shock heads with some other, oh, like five carrots unpeeled, like four beach towels, 75, oh, 75 uh, pounds of sand, but it didn't specify like what the sand had to be in. And then an empty wreck bag, but like needed to be fillable. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other stuff that was on the gear list. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, oh, a wood splitting axe. Right. Um, of course. Safety buckles, paracord, uh, a five gallon metal bucket. Like. A five-gallon um, metal bucket. That was probably kind of hard to find, a metal one. It, a lot of this stuff was really hard to find. And then um, 75 po- pounds of sand, like, they don't sell 75-pound bags. So I was pretty confused by that. I'm like, dude, how the fuck am I supposed to get this? Like, <laughs> I feel like the biggest hassle about this whole race was just, like, showing up there with all the gear I needed. Right. You know, it made it, like very confusing as to how to get it but you had to just really think outside the box and kind of get creative with some of it so so when you get there did they like check everybody and made sure they had everything on the list no they just expected you'd have it oh wow so i'll never forget it i pull up there um i think it was between it was probably 7 15 because they said show up between 7 and 7 30 unless you had the hot breakfast which obviously because I was like, fuck that. Um, <laughs> so we get there and we start lugging all this gear up. And all of a sudden there was a big line. They told us to take out another thing, which was our two silver coins with, you needed to have certain years on them that uh, had two staff members birthdays on each coin. So it, if it was like a quarter I think the quarters I went with were 1974, I believe, and then 1969. Because I think, I forget which two of the staff members had a 1969 birthday, but then two more had a 1974 birthday. We all kind of collaborated as a big group on Facebook Messenger as to what coins we were going with. But we all decided to go with that. So they told us to take out our coins. And another thing we needed was a black and white photo printed out of us holding up a sign wearing a black t-shirt saying i may die they told us to take those out we were standing in a line all of a sudden this was the biggest wake-up call some dude i guess it was like just 7 30 started closing the door to the barn while i was waiting in line and he was like oh you guys are now no longer allowed in death race so you might as well just go home what? and i was i yeah it was weird i knew it was just the mind game right but i wondering should we all get in our cars and like pretend to drive off the property are they going to direct us somewhere else or not like that was what i was confused about so then what happened from there is um they started like telling us okay i want you guys to move these picnic tables facing like the brown barn parallel with this tractor and (laughs) so we did that we we moved a bunch of stuff and then they directed us up into this big barn and we had to move a bunch of these heavy ass fucking tables downstairs and these tables were a pain in the ass man we had to (laughs) use straps to like secure the um the legs so they weren't like flopping around anywhere but then like some guy peter came in and screamed at us okay you guys have 30 minutes left to get these tables all moved otherwise like you're actually going home so we started like hauling ass man (laughs) We got it done just by the skin of our teeth, and uh, we were all pumped up. We got really efficient about it. We all came together as a team, and yeah, I think uh, then finally they brought us all down. They had us start doing a bunch of burpees because no one had their race bibs yet. Right. Um, after that, they looked at uh, this guy, the guy Brandon, who owns that TPK Endurance, and said, all right who here wants to try and beat Brandon's 400 meter runtime? I raised my hand. I was like, you know, I'll, I'll send it and see what I can do. <laughs> I think I lost by like maybe two seconds. My idea was I was going to hang on his tail 
and then try and gun it at the very end. But he's so fucking fast that <laughs> I didn't have it in me, man. Like, so, but they gave both of us bibs. They respected the fact that I tried. So we were the first two racers with bibs. And then, uh, the other racers had to go get buckets of cold water and do handstand pushups oh, in God. the cold water to get their bibs. And then shortly after, everyone was in the race. So you already had your bib, but did you have to do the push-ups too, or did you get to stand and watch? Um, so I actually got to stand and watch. Oh, that was, was pretty awesome then. But I, I knew it was coming, man. I had a gut feeling that, all right, like, I'm going to have to start doing the cold water stuff and everything. And I was so trained for it though, that I wasn't worried about the cold water. So how many people started? Um, okay. So 23 people were signed up. Only 11 showed up. Wow. And yeah, three finished. Wow. So, so what was involved on like the first day of the event? Was that all everybody got their bibs or did what continued? So, yeah, everyone got their bibs, and then shit got fucked pretty quick. So, (laughs) what happened was, is they had us go down to the pond and start chopping a shitload of wood. And I just, I was like, oh, fuck, what's coming? And there was this huge boat that we had to grab. They told us, okay, you guys better start a big fire in that pit. Put that fire pit in the boat. And, you know, here's the deal. So once we got that fire going, they're like, if this fire goes out at any point during the race, you're all fucking disqualified. Nobody gets a skull. <laughs> yeah. So that was like a big priority. We were all trying to keep the fire going. Some people were chopping wood for hours. Other people were. But then they started having us lug the boat like back and forth, this huge field and back to this barn, over to this barn. So we were all taking turns on the front. Um, because I trained so much, I was trying to be a team player and stay with the heaviest part of the boat the majority of the time, but everyone else was switching out. We were all kind of being good teammates about it and stuff. Like if my arm would get sore, like I'd rotate to the other side and someone else would rotate to my side so we could switch arms. And, you know, it was, it was cool. It was a cool experience. So <clears throat> did, so during this event, like how long did the event last in total? Do you, do you remember? 50 hours, 50 hours. So during that 50 hours, like how did they work out? Like, you know, okay. You like, let's say you had to just go to the bathroom or you get a break to eat. Did they, was that something y'all chose to do on your own time or were y'all told when y'all could do this? Did y'all sleep any? They had porta potties like out, by one of the barns and stuff and sometimes between challenges like you would have time to go to your bins and like grab food and stuff like that but right. a lot of the time like i would just have to be smart like figure out how to get like a bunch of protein bars in my pocket and carry mm-hmm. my water around with me so i wouldn't go into a, a calorie deficit and stuff like i did my research on all this and i learned during the ultra that the most calories your body can process in one hour is 250 and like with the amount of calories you're burning during an event like this, you're probably not going to be able to like, you know, go any more than 250 because that's the most your body can process. But your body is burning more. So no matter what, like I would always keep that in the back of my mind, like drink a bunch of water and just keep eating like a 250 calorie protein bar every hour. And I had a watch that I would just keep looking at during whatever I was doing. So Right. And so was there any point where y'all had like a break where y'all could take, you know, sleep or did they keep y'all awake for the whole 50 yeah, hours? We're awake for the whole thing. Um, our breaks was kind of like the times they would have us go chop wood or they would just look at us and say like, for example, my, one of my tasks was <laughs> one of the race directors came up to me. Um, this was kind of the very first or the second morning. So this was 24 hours in. A lot of people had already quit at this point. I'll get into that after. But someone said, hey, for a skull right now, would you do 1,000 burpees and then cumulatively hold your breath underwater for four minutes? And I said, absolutely. So like my break was kind of like doing those burpees because he didn't give me a time limit to do it. They kind of just left me alone. But it was also my job to keep the fire going. So I'd maybe do like, 100 put some more wood on the fire knock out 100 more 
keep tending to the fire and vice, you know, vice versa and let some other people do it too. But yeah, so our breaks were kind of just, you'd have to figure out smart times to take them. Like right. when they'd up to Shrek's cabin up the mountain to carry a bunch of firewood up or go to the top and memorize a quote and then run back down. Like those were kind of your breaks. You right. know? So did you get the skull by doing that task? Like they said, no, 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 I did not. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, it's wicked funny. I know. Like I look back on it. I'm already cracking up because I wasn't even close to my physical or mental limit at that point, but it was complete bullshit. Right. I wasn't close to getting the skull. I think that was probably like maybe 25 or 26 hours into the event. There was still way more. Right. But did they make you do the four minutes accumulated time underwater too? No. Oh. I knocked it out. And actually it's crazy. Like because it was like event day and I was so excited and pumped up and in survival mode, um, I was kind of having fun with it. Like when I got in the water, some guy looked at me, he's like, what's the longest you've ever held your breath of breath under the water and i told him 30 seconds he's like i want to see 33 seconds and you know what sure as shit i fucking did it man <laughs> i held my breath for 33 seconds under the water on one of the breath holds and when i came up the guy couldn't believe it he's like bro like i can't believe this kid just held his breath for that long Dang. i was pumped up too because that's like a pr you know i yeah. treat it like a workout and like lifting weights and stuff and yeah it was, it was a cool feeling so I saw a video where they started like making y'all y'all were on top of what appeared to be like a frozen pond, and y'all had to yeah, knock a yeah. circle out of it that y'all were standing on, and y'all were barefooted and shit. Like, what was going oh, on yeah. there? <laughs> so that was actually that was towards like the beginning. I think that was probably a couple hours into the event. So maybe that went down at like twelve o'clock. If the event really started at seven thirty, that was probably around noon, if I had to guess. But what we had to do, it's funny. They told us one of the things we had to bring was four unbroken Chips Ahoy. <laughs> so I had a really good sunglasses case that protects like uh, one of the pairs of Oakleys I've had for three years. So I figured if these have protected my Oakleys so well, there's no way that these chip, chewy Chips Ahoy cookies are going to break Right. in this case. So I put them in. They told us to take them out. And I was pumped up that mine weren't broken. But what they said was, okay, now like take them and nothing matters with those like just put them back <laughs> and they're like now with the real chips ahoy challenges is go out to the pond stand in the middle of it everyone find a space like at least five feet apart from one another and carve out a circle and you get what i'm saying like if you carve out a circle like you're gonna fall in right so i knew it was coming i immediately thought i need to get off as much of these clothes as possible because like i want to stay you know, keep clothes dry as best as I can. Right. So that's what everyone started doing when they realized what they were asking us to do. Like people started just stripping down to their underwear and stuff like that. And yeah. So then eventually that was our first cold plunge. They didn't ask us to dip our heads or anything like that, but we did have to get halfway in. Right. So, okay. So they, y'all chose to, you know, shed all your clothes and get out there because y'all didn't want to get your clothes wet. Okay. I was wondering if they made y'all do that. Cause I was like, man, no. that's, that's vicious. <laughs> no, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to get your, your dry clothes wet. So like I have the shell that I've gone hiking with, like a lot of times I've tested it out. Typically like the loadout I have for hiking is like, I'll have a base layer I'll have my puffy that's already in my uh, my rucksack, and then I'll have a shell. But when I'm hiking any mountain, I always start sweating, even mm -hmm. if it's freezing cold out. So I typically just hike in my shell. But when I took off, like, my base layer and everything, it was just in my underwear, I used my shell to, like, cover up, like, all the clothes because it was raining at this point. Right. So what task did over the whole event, did you think was the most difficult for you personally? So for me personally, I would say the most difficult, I actually had a lot of trouble making fires at certain points in time because they told us no lighters or matches or anything like that. So I didn't cheat. Like you can kind of like cut corners at some points, but like you never want to be that guy that's just flat out cheating. Like if they say, don't bring that, don't do it. Cause you want right. to have some fun with actually, challenging yourself but they did not say 
no fire starters. So right. there are these really cool things they sell at like Kittery Trading Post. Yeah. And they're pulled to start and they immediately just start burning like a flare for I think 35 or 40 minutes. So, you know, one of these times I didn't think to bring like dry tinder with me and I didn't think it was going to rain. So I couldn't get a fire started with my flint and magnesium rod. So I just pulled out one of those fire starters to see if they were going to shut it down or not, but they didn't. And I started a fire in my bucket, but it became a challenge for me because we had to make several fires throughout the event when I ran out of those things. So now I was kind of shit out of luck. I had to just (laughs) practice with my flint and magnesium rod and try and find as much birch bark as I could. And sometimes it would go, sometimes it wouldn't like, you know, but whenever we couldn't get a fire started, I would get an extra water penalty, meaning I would have to get in the water for longer. Um, I actually didn't mind. A lot of times I just looked at Andy or whoever else was running that little event. And I would say, all right, can I just get like, take an extra water penalty? And they agreed to let me take that extra penalty. So when you say a water penalty, that just mean you had to submerge in water to the waist and you were good? No, it was for me. Um, the first penalty I got was I had to hold my breath for one minute and 30 seconds, but they started to see that because I trained for it, I wasn't struggling with it enough. <laughs> so they kept upping the times, but then finally, like they did the thing where they looked at me and said, for a skull, would you hold your breath for four minutes? Right. And I agreed. That, but then I was only more screwed when they figured out I could do that. See, you should have started like acting in the part. You're like, oh shit, it's so cold. I can't yeah, stand I it. Know, <laughs> it was a bad move, man. I fucked up. <laughs> I shouldn't have showed them my capabilities so early on, you know? Yeah, man. Should have went on there with a poker face. <laughs> yeah, I know. You learn. You learn. So tell us about like when people were starting to uh, drop out and what, and that's a question I want to ask too. Was it, were they deciding to quit or was there a task involved where you didn't complete the task? You're out. No. So in this particular event, I did not see anybody get like pulled. This was all like, do you want to stay in it? Right. Like, cause if you want to stay in it, like you're, unless you quit, you're in. Gotcha. So I think what happened is people just maybe were not ready for the amount of cold water submersions. Cause I've heard in previous years that they only submerged like twice and they mm-hmm. only went in waist deep. But then I think the second time they had to do like either a 15 second or 20 second breath hold, but that was it. So people thought it was going to be similar. Nobody thought that all night it was going to be make a fire, do burpees, and then go submerge in the water, go run up to Shrek's cabin with a bunch of weight, come back down, repeat. And it was the first 24 hours, and it just kept coming. It was like, run up, come back down, run up, come back down, submerge again. And I think it just got too much for people, if I had to guess. So, so what, every so, just tapping out. So what was the strategy to that task there? Was it one of those things where you took your clothes off, submerged, put them back on, ran up to the cabin, ran back, and, you know, just kept doing that? Because this night it was raining, the strategy was, um, you know, take your shell or your top layer and try your very damn best to just keep all your clothes dry but strip down as much as you possibly can before you get that water. And you have to be really quick getting your clothes back on so they don't get wet. But like I said, in our bins, we also had like a bunch of, I had an extra pair of boots and a ton of dry clothes that I was able to switch out of like on multiple occasions. But it's still like, no matter how hard you tried, like sometimes you just end up with wet clothes for a couple hours. Right. Was there any point where you were like, I might not make it? Um, that's actually a really good question. I was pretty confident in my ability to like withstand whatever was coming. I think, like, if I had to guess, my biggest concern was when I couldn't make the fire, I was worried somebody was going to say, if you can't get a fire going right now, we're dropping you against your will. And that would have bummed me out, man, because I wasn't ready to quit ever. So that was uh, when I was like, shit, I might not make it. Hmm. So, and you said most most people dropped when y'all had to do that, run up the mountain and then come back and submerse and do burpees? 
the first 24 hours, we were down to three people. Oh, really? So yeah. at the 23 or 24 hour mark, it was the three that finished from then on out? Yep. Oh, wow. There, um, I was really inspired by all the other finishers, Kelly and Andrew. Um, we went through so much like as a team and stuff, and they're both just next-level athletes. They have so much grit. Yeah, because wasn't that Kelly's third attempt? And that was the first time she'd finished, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. She's such a savage, man. And so were they trying to, um, once it was three left, was it one of those things where they were trying to make it where there was only one finisher? Did they? Yeah, I, I didn't buy it. I wasn't about it man like i already do on my own enough like individual events at crossfit where you're kind of competing for like a couple more reps against the next person but like i'm not trying to step on any toes man like at the end of the day like i kind of know this is like a team event and i'm not trying to get us to turn on each other there were a couple points in time in which like i knew someone was fucking with us because right one of the things we had to do was collect a bunch of wood and like whoever had the biggest stack at the end was like the winner. Um, but then like one per one of our stacks was just gone and someone looked at us and was just like, who, who the fuck took my wood? And I, like, <laughs> I look at this person and I was like, listen, nobody took your wood. I was like, you can grab half my pile if you really want. They're fucking with us and they're trying to make us turn on each other. Mm. Don't fucking buy it. Cause not, neither of us here would do that, you know? And like, thank God like that person is cool enough to like say, Oh, you're completely right. I was like, yeah, man, that's, that's pretty awesome that you were having this, you know, you had your wits about you this far into the event too, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I like, I knew they were just because no one is going to take someone's stack of wood. Like we were all kind of a team. We made that decision like together. We're like, guys, we're all going to get the skull. Like, Mm I don't want to be in this event like salty or just being overly like competitive, trying to like screw each other over the whole time. Cause that's not going to be a fun experience. You know, I mean, it was already miserable, but like doing just being an individual and something so fucked up like this event, like I can't imagine man. like I wouldn't have had a good time. You know what I made right. two friends for life, man, that like, I'm going to be tight with forever now because we all worked as a team and didn't work as individuals against each other and and you know what that what's cool about that too is the three of y'all did an event that no other three people will do you know exactly the same so y'all are the only three that's experienced that and that's just that's kind of a killer bond if you think about it you know what i mean oh it's fucking awesome man it, was there any point at that time where the staff, their self, was alluding to there's only one skull and only one person's going to get it? Yeah, and you know what I said? It was actually Joe. Uh, Joe DeSena, he pulled this all aside. I think we were about to do another cold water submersion. And uh, people were interviewing me on camera and stuff. And like somebody looked at me and they're like, are you going to win this thing or what? There's only one skull. And I said, I said, just what I'm saying to you right now. I said, no, we're going to win it as a team. We're all getting the skull. We're all going to split it. And if there is only one skull, I'm going to smash it into a couple pieces and we're all going to take a piece, man. That's how we're going to roll with this thing. So you might as well just give us all one. That's awesome, Ron. Yeah. Um, how, how much was Joe part of the event? Did he just kind of pop in here and there or was he out there for most of the event it's his race like you know i think he plays like the biggest role in designing it i'm pretty sure but he was uh there quite a lot you know and at the very end when uh you know we were pretty close to being done he had us like all he invited us in for coffee and stuff got us all warm gave us a bunch of awesome spartan gear and took us out to breakfast at that general store that he owns and it was uh really cool meeting a legend like that can't speak highly enough about him that's pretty awesome he's a savage yeah Mm. so when it came down to it uh when there was only three of y'all left like did the task kind of change because there was less of y'all and they knew they were getting to the bottom three did they start making them harder so 
Yeah, I mean, once we were down to the last three, I remember, like, yeah, it did get a little rough, especially, like, as sleep deprivation kicked in more. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the tasks that we all thought was, like, pretty hard, like, I kind of thought it was funny. Like, I was able to laugh through some of it. Um, Was, I think it was for hours, man. I don't, I lost track of time (laughs) during this. But um, this guy, Peter, had us take out, two of our carabiners that were on the gear list and clipped together our boots. And there was a cone at the end of the field. And he (laughs) said, okay, I want you all to hop backwards to that cone and go get whatever's on it and then hop forwards and bring it back. But here's the catch. Um, The snow wasn't like broken in with footprints yet. He said, if any of you fall, you have to hop back to the start. Oh my God. One of my boys uh, fell and had to hop all the way back to the, the start. And, like, at first it was kind of funny, but when this went on for hours, the hilarity died down, you know? Man, that had to just kill your legs, too, before you got done. I was eating a lot of salty stuff that I had in my pockets, and I, uh, I've i done so many double-unders and box jumps across fit that I actually never cramped up. The one time I cramped up was when I got in the cold water, but it wasn't that bad, and it went away really fast. Yeah, that's probably mainly just from the cold water more than anything, you know? That's exactly what caused it, but I was surprised. Like, I was having fun with that until it got dark, and then I'm like, all right, when is this going to end? Man? Right. I don't know how many hours it was, but <laughs> there was uh, then another cone that was, I think, probably like 100 feet from the one we kept hopping out to. And finally he started sending us out to that one to hop backwards to it. And it was this water bottle with like a hundred names written in cursive. I don't know if it was a hundred. It may have been like, he told us at the end how many names were on it. I believe it was like 35 or 40 and they were written in such a weird font that no one could understand, but he would have a shuffle five cards. And I think an ACE represented 11 a king represented 10. Um, I think it was like a queen, like nine. And then like, I don't even know, but (laughs) he had us draw these, these cards. And like when I drew it, it was an ace. And he's like, so that's 11 names you have to memorize. Oh shit. They nicknamed me Aquaman. They quickly started to figure out that the cold water wasn't really like a concern for me. So they were trying to figure out, like, what can we, like, threaten this kid with, you know, Mm -hmm. if he doesn't, like, successfully memorize these names. But I just, I stopped trying, and I started having fun with it and giving him names that weren't even on the bottle. (laughs) And, buddy, and, like, I thought that was so funny. Um, I kind of treated it like it was a CrossFit workout, like, with the hopping, with my legs together. Like, I would use my arms as momentum, like it was uh, box jumps and stuff. And I would yell to him, hey, Peter, like, you want to see an unbroken set of box jumps? He's like, let's see it, Aquaman. I was like, all right. That's and, uh, <laughs> you know, I was using that to, like, see, like, how long I could go unbroken for. Obviously, I couldn't do that, like, the whole time. But right. finally, after so long of these stupid games where I just refused to give him any kind of names or whatever, he just said, all right, so now you're kind of out of the race. You might be at uh, at risk of being disqualified. you got to get back in it. So you got to hustle out to that cone then come back to me, then hop back to that cone and then come back to me again. So they gave me like more and shit. Cause they wanted to see like how far I could take it. Right. And finally I got it done and that ended. So then <laughs> I was pumped up because I figured out that, um, I was thinking he looked at me and he said, so the other two are going to do 20 miles, but because you fucked with me for five hours and didn't even attempt to give me one name, you have to do an ultra marathon right now. You're doing 35 miles <laughs> in no shoe race. And you know what? Believe it or not, I was actually excited because I was like, I've done so many like presidential traverses and so many great hikes with like an outstanding group of people um, that I met on this Facebook group called Hiking Buddies. Right. They kind of back so I didn't, you know, make any stupid decisions with weather up in the White Mountains. But I was like trained for that 35 miles. I'm like, bro, I think I can do it right now. I'm pumped up. Um, I was so bummed after six, like a six mile loop. I saw this little thing at the check-in table to write our times that we finished our laps in. And it said, death racers, please come inside. I was like, fuck man. 
And like my favorite times were when we had physical tasks that were away from right. the people playing mind games with us. Um, but yeah, so we went inside and then they handed me a shitty handsaw that sucked. <laughs> and they're like, okay, so you have to get pieces of wood that are this big and it had to be an exact size. Like it couldn't be any taller than my bucket and it couldn't be any thicker than like what you can do with uh, your pointer finger and your thumb. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to get this much wood? But like, I started fucking around. Like we all did. We were all just trying to fight not to fall asleep at this point. Right. We were, you know, sawn wood. And like, I stopped giving a shit. Uh, everyone did. And like, but then I think it was like after three hours of just, you know, trying not to fall asleep, like doing our best to saw wood. Um, Waller, I think is this. Yeah. Waller looked mm. at us and said, like, he was like, all right, let me give you guys a hint. If you don't hurry up and start getting your stacks big now, you're going to be very cold. <laughs> so I was like, oh, we're getting wet again. I don't care. And like, I just, my thought was, during this whole event, there was really no reward for any right answer. So I figured we're getting wet anyways. Right. Um, but, you know, we kind of all started hustling and stuff. And I don't know, fucking, yeah. Eventually, like, he brought us all down to the pond. I was like, okay, we all failed. And, <laughs> yeah, but I was so surprised when he looked at us and, like, he was like, all right. Like, who came in first, who came in second and third? Um, and, like, we all kind of gave him the wrong answers and stuff like that. We were just screwing with them. But then, uh, you know, he was like, all right. Like, you know, he figured out who came in first, second, third. But he had us so scared that we were going in the water. But then he, all of a sudden, at the last second, he started pointing to the water and then pointed to the firewood instead and said, okay, I would take that firewood and bring it back up to the white barn. And everyone was just so relieved. relieved. Man. <laughs> Thank God we're not going in the water because we really thought we were going to have to go in. Yeah. So towards the, you're getting towards the end. And once it come to like the, I mean, I assume they were probably teasing with you the whole time, but did they yeah. announce like, okay, this is your final task or did you never know? We never knew. So the last thing we had to do was like after all this wood gathering back up to the white barn and stuff he looked at us he said now look at you guys stacks with the wood you just grabbed from that fireplace at the pond and put your stack take the five biggest pieces shove them in your pack and the other five biggest pieces and put them in your metal bucket <laughs> now he said all right you guys ready to go because you're going up to shrek's we were all so bummed out man <laughs> we're like fuck it was so much weight too. I don't know how much weight, but it was a lot, man. And our legs were all pretty shot. I'm sure. Um, but he looked at us and he gave us such an unrealistic uh, time hack. He said, if you're not up there and down back down here by 630, I don't know what time it was. I can't remember that. He said, it's not going to be fucking pretty. <laughs> and we're all like, shit. So, uh, yeah, it was a struggle, man. We were all just so beat up and like we kept having to drop our buckets and just keep picking them back up and going back up. But finally we got up there and then the next task we got, he said all the red flags, the red tape that leads the way up to Shrek's cabin. He said on your way back down, pull all the red tape and put it in a trash bag. So we were kind of thinking maybe this event might be almost over. Right. Like, but we didn't know. I was thinking it's just a huge mind game and I have no idea what's coming or, but we get down there and there's like a finish line and everybody's cheering us on. And I was like, guys, let's all sprint in, you know, cause <laughs> it's crazy how your brain finds energy. You don't know. You didn't know you had when you see a finish line like that after God knows how many miles. So as a team, we all sprinted in and Joe was right there and he was just like, you know, you guys are all basically finishers right now. He said, just start this fire and there's a couple more things left, but that's pretty much it. You know, that's awesome, man. It was the best feeling I've ever had in my life. You know, um, 
after that he that was when he took us out to breakfast like gave us a bunch of gear and stuff really cool experience really great guy and then the last thing we had to do was um jump in the water for the skull which was the best feeling in the world i saw the skull floating and you know like when i saw it floating in the water i was like i'm not even gonna strip down my clothes man because this is it i'm just gonna jump in and get the skull so i jumped in and got it held my breath under the water for like 20 seconds just they didn't even ask me to do it i just offered to do it and then they lied i knew how long i held my breath they're like nope that was only 19 seconds kelly your turn <laughs> go get the skull they're like get out of the water i like you lose so i was like all right and like i thought it was mad funny but then she went did it they got that skull but then somebody else took another skull threw it smashed it all over the ice and screamed to me you boys better start grabbing as many little pieces like out of the bottom of that pond as you possibly can so i jumped in again with all my clothes my boots everything started swimming down under to pick up all the little pieces and i just had them all together and then, uh, so I kept that one and then they threw a third one in and, uh, Andrew had to hold his breath for 20 seconds, which he absolutely killed. Like, I think he held his breath for 22 or 23, right? which he had never done before. Um, so yeah, we all got skulls. And then the end of the event, uh, Andy looked at me and said, Hey, do you want a full one? Or cause we can like give you a full one instead of this broken one but I came to the conclusion that it was very symbolic to me, the broken skull, because it made me realize that sometimes in life, no matter uh, how broken you feel, you just got to keep pushing on, man. Got to keep fucking grinding, you know, just like in the event, like I felt broken several times and no matter how broken I felt like it wasn't an option. Quitting was never like, even like at the back of my mind, I was like, Nope cross that option right the fuck out and you know just keep going so i chose to keep the broken skull and that's what i told andy i said this is symbolic to me i want to keep this that's awesome man yeah it was great great experience so like you know looking back over the entire event was there anything that you would have done differently oh i would have brought some extra dry materials and better tinder to make a fire Right. That's one thing I definitely would have done differently. Okay. So do you have any interest in doing this event again? I might, man. You know, <laughs> um, there are some other things like I'm potentially considering right now. Like I'm an avid hiker and I love the mountains and stuff. I've kind of done a ton of hikes up in the whites. Right. But uh, one of my goals for the future might be to um, climb like a huge mountain, like maybe K2 or Everest. Oh, but wow have to start with denali or something like that oh wow that sounds Maybe awesome selection people tell me that i might love that but you know i have some time to think about it so i'm kind of my priority right now is just training for the crossfit open which happens this saturday i oh. qualified for the quarterfinals last year but i uh i didn't do so well so this year i want to try and do a little bit better you know do you think you'll be able to give it a good shot are you recovered from the death race yet I think I'll be all right. I've trained so hard at CrossFit that I really think like I'll uh, I'll be able to perform well. Right on. So, as far as the event goes in its entirety, what was probably the best part about the event to you? Getting the skull at the end. Getting the skull at the end. Oh, absolutely, man. And what the, and what was probably the worst part of the event for you? Um, when they were trying to get like me to turn on people and shit, you know, I, I didn't like that. I was like, nah, dude, I'm not, I've never operated like that, man. Like I'm, I played team sports my whole life and yeah, like it's, it's fun to be competitive at times. And sometimes you have to be a fighter, but like, it's not cool. Like when these are the people you're suffering with and enduring this shit with, and like, you don't want to do it alone and they're trying to get you all to turn. So that was probably like the worst part for me was like, you know, when they were, you could tell they were messing with us about the one skull. Right. So if none of us were going to quit, it was evident. Like they're both absolute savages, incredible human beings. And I immediately knew that I was like, all of us here are going to endure this no matter what happens, right. no matter how fucked up we get. So hmm. we will literally all go until we die. 
What advice would you give to somebody now that you've completed a death race? What advice would you give to somebody who's willing to try it? Um, just train properly, man. Reach out to some other finishers, figure out like if there's anything they can possibly do to better their chances at succeeding and don't take it lightly. Like you want to be careful with your training and you don't want to get injured leading up to the event, but definitely don't show up out of shape. Take it seriously, man. Like spend as much of your free time as possible in the gym, hiking mountains, building your legs, um, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So man, I'm pretty much almost out of questions here, but everybody I bring on the show, I always ask them the same questions. And uh, you, I, we might already know the answer to this question here, but out of all the races, events, anything that you've done, what's been your most favorite and why? Out of all the events I've done, yeah. this one. This one? Because it challenged me the most, man. I'm the type of man that I always seek out the hardest challenges that this world has to offer me. So this has definitely been the most difficult thing I have ever gone through. Right. Without any question, man, I can't believe I finished it. Um, it's surreal, man. Absolutely surreal. Awesome. So now I want the reverse of that. What's been your the race or event that you hated the most and why? Or disliked or, you know, had the poorest performance? You know, some people don't like to say hate, so... You know, probably the CrossFit Open, or no, sorry, not the Open last year, the quarterfinals last year. Right. Because I was so good at, like, cardio and strength and just, like, doing mad reps, but, like, my skill work was so, like, sloppy and my form was just so bad and same as my mobility. I still have a lot of work to go, but I've come a long ways. And the fact that I made it to the quarterfinals, but I just was not prepared for the really like high skill movements that right. came in those next rounds but i hope this year it'll be a better experience for me if i do well enough to get to that point again but we'll see what happens man i'll just do my best that's all anybody can do you know all right so my last question is is like say if you know it's a race weekend or event you're doing like how do you prepare the friday night before the saturday morning before the event and if it's like a two-day event what are you doing to recover yeah. after the Saturday event for the Sunday event? If it's like a two day event, like what do I do? Yeah. Kind of like, I you know, you race both days at a Spartan race or something. Sorry. Can you repeat that question? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, like if you race both days at a Spartan race, like, you know, what's your race strategy, you know, that your your routine in other words to recover like i just eat mad food i make sure to eat as many carbohydrates as i possibly can drink a bunch of pedialytes um i try and just stretch out use a foam roller um yeah that's that's about it you know just get those calories back in you get as many electrolytes and fluids and so what do you it. do like pre-race do you have like a routine that you do like pre-race yeah, so I carbo-load. Like, I just eat a ton of pasta and a bunch of bread. And I also add a lot of extra salt to my food, like just regular table salt. Um, the week leading up to, and I try and drink at least a gallon of water every single day. But, like, I add to my water intake a little bit. So mm -hmm. I'll probably shoot for, like, a gallon and a half Shit. days leading up to a big event. Cool. That's a lot of water. <laughs> I know, right? But it's... Like, necessary to get your body hydrated because when you get into the shit like thing um your hydration is just gonna start depleting and same as you're gonna go into a calorie deficit there's no avoiding it you know so you just got to do the best you can to be in a surplus with both hydration and calories before you start right you don't want to be playing catch up right so you finished Killington Ultra on your first try, man. I would, I've got to ask you because oh, yeah. I go there every year and do the race, but I have some oh, yeah. friends that have, you know, that have problems finishing that race. So if, what is, would you say is a good strategy for completing the Killington Ultra in your opinion? Get up in those mountains, man. Do those lunges. Um, that was literally the best advice that was ever given to me. Um, you know, like as much as you possibly can, like, and for me, it's awesome because 
we have, you know, the White Mountains two hours, two and a half hours away. Right. And the most challenging hikes in New England with the most elevation gain and challenging, like, terrain. So I would just get up there as much as I could. And, you know, I worked my ass off at CrossFit and went on a lot of distance runs and stuff like that. But that's probably the best advice I can give anybody is it's like 50% nutrition, uh, I'd say it's probably 50% training, 25% nutrition, and then 25% mental. You gonna A do lot it of it's mental. I don't know. You going to do it again this year? I might, man. You know, like I said, I kind of want to figure out what's next. Like, am I going to be around the area or am I going to go on some trip to Nepal to maybe try and climb K2 or Everest or something like that? But uh, I definitely consider it, you know. I just have some... Uh, things I want to figure out first, but I hear you, Ryan. Well, hey, Ryan, I'm out of questions, man. Is there anything you want to add before we sign off? Absolutely, man. Um, so I just want to thank the entire Death Race staff for making all of this happen. My mom, dad, and sister Kelly for all their love and support. My CrossFit Epping coaches and community, Brian Turcott at Dirty Development for giving me some awesome training advice. My hiking buddies group that have uh, looked after me and made sure I didn't make any stupid decisions going up there when the weather's fucked. Uh, Brandon Welling and TPK Endurance, the other death race finishers that I reached out to, Francis Generelli and Joshua Fiore, for also giving me outstanding training advice. I don't think I could have finished this if it wasn't for any of those people I just listed. Right on. Well, hey, man, congratulations, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, man, and uh, good luck with all your adventures for the rest of the year. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate your time, too. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Ryan again for taking time to talk to us for some gnarly stuff he did, man, and just getting in all that ice and water. I don't know, man. I don't know if I could do all that. Um. I'm not going to be at Jacksonville, so I hope I want to wish everybody good luck there in case I don't do an episode before then. Um, let me know what you think about the course, and if any of y'all are doing the uh, the 3K event on Friday, shoot me a message and tell me how it went. Uh, my first race will be in Conyers in Atlanta, which is a trifecta weekend, which is going to be awesome. Garfield is going to be the RD there, which will make it even better. Garfield always puts on a great race. But anyway, that's all I got. Make sure you check out Monkey Grips on Instagram and, you know, give them a follow. Do it for me. Do it for me. And uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We'll see you at the next race. Peace.